Amen. Thank you, brother. Um, Mr. Noel Edwards texted me about Mr. White. You know, it's been a long time prayer request with cancer in the battle, and it was good, and went back to work, and that didn't last long. And, um, you know, the last couple times I've asked, he just said it wasn't good, but he texted me and said that they have stopped cancer treatment. He is taking a pill in the mornings before he eat, and it makes him really sick, and he's thinking about just coming off that. So um, it's one of those hard fought battles with cancer, so I'd ask you to certainly be praying for him. If you want to be turning in your Bibles, Galatians chapter 3, pick up tonight where we left off. Really an amazing picture, an Old Testament picture of the New Testament promise. It's amazing how God does things, how God fulfills things, and I love when God shows me things, and it just ties everything together and puts the Bible into context, but chapter 3, verse 17, Paul said, This I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which is 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. So Paul says the law which was given by God years after, 430 years after the promise, what he says is it cannot remove and it cannot revoke the promise that was given to Abraham. Verse 18, for if the inheritance be of the law, there's no more promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. And then verse number 19, that was where we'd left off, uh, having emphasized the, the priority of grace. Paul begins to look at the purpose of the law. Even though the law is neither a fulfillment of or a replacement for the promise, the law had a purpose or God wouldn't have given the law. So he says in verse number 19, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. So the first thing we see in, in the purpose of the law is that it was to, to probe the soul of mankind for sin. And then we see the second purpose, that it was to prepare the soul for salvation. The purpose of the law given to Moses by God for the Hebrew children was to emphasize the existence of sin. And then it was until the promise, the one who was promised, the seed, which we know was Jesus Christ would come. And the one who was promised would come and would deal with sin once and for all according to God's level of satisfaction. Everything has to be dealt with on God's level. Everything has, has to be brought up, brought down, whatever ever level, everything is done to God's satisfaction. So the promise is to save God's people. We looked at it before already in this study, but the law can't do that. All the law can do is condemn. The law is a bar that says you either got to get to this bar or you're falling short. And none of us can make it to the bar. So all the law could do was condemn for falling short. The law wasn't given to Abraham. The law was given to Moses. Now, here's where I begin to see some things about this Old Testament picture into my New Testament life, into my New Testament grace. The law wasn't given to Moses while the children of Israel were still in Egypt, the house of bondage. See, God didn't give Moses the law send them back to Egypt and demand that if they keep the law, then they would be saved. The first thing, just like in our life, God saved them by grace. It wasn't, hey, here's the law, 
keep the law, and by the law you can be saved. The law had nothing to do with it. It was God's grace and it was God's mercy that sent Moses back to deliver his children from the bondage of Egypt. So first God redeemed them by the blood of the Passover lamb. And, and then God baptized them both in the cloud and through the Red Sea. He baptized them unto Moses, having first saved them, then he separated them. Y'all starting to see the picture yet of what it looks like in our life? He brought them to Sinai, to, to Mount Sinai. Then he gave them the law. You ready? You ready, brother? You ready for this? He gave them the law to show them how redeemed people should live. See, the law had a purpose. The law didn't come early and say, live like this and you can be saved. Grace brought salvation. And the law says, now that you are saved, this is the kind of life you need to live. This is the things you need to do. This is the things you need to stay away from. It gave some guidelines. The law set a standard of behavior that God expects saved people to live by. We are to be different. We're to be not just different than we were before we were saved. We're supposed to be different than those who still are not saved. We, we have a standard of behavior. God didn't give them the law to keep to save them. He saved them and then he gave them some directions on how to live a holy life. So the great purpose of the law was to educate people about the seriousness of the sin. It was given because of transgressions to point out transgressions. I mean, you got to look at the people that we're talking about here and that they were barely out of sight of Egypt. They, they were barely out of seeing distance. They were barely out of hearing distance when they began to complain. They, they get tomorrow and the water's bitter and they start complaining and they whine and complain. And, and I mean, the stripes on their back from the taskmasters are probably still bleeding. They're still not healed. They have just gotten out of Egypt and they're already saying, I wish we could just go back. I'd be better off in Egypt if we just go back just because the water was bitter. Then, then they complained because they didn't have anything to eat and God gave them bread from heaven's table. Then they wanted to complain at Rephidim. They were ready to stone Moses because they ran out of water. And even another time later on, they wanted to kill him again. Even after God gave them water gushing from the rock at Horeb, they complained again. I mean, how many times do we have? We're no different. How many times do we have to see God come through before we get it? He did it once. He can do it again. And, and, and if, if he told me to speak to the rock the second time, I don't need to smite the rock like Moses did the first time he said smite it. But the rock didn't have to be smitten twice. The instructions changed. Y'all get that? The instructions changed. Here's the rock. Don't hit it again. Just speak to it. It's important to pay attention to what God tells us. God always has the ability to meet the need. But, but, but he's got some instructions. He's looking to accomplish something. But, but, but they complained about everything. They, even at Sinai, when, when Moses was up on the mountain, when he was up there talking with God, mediating on their behalf, and God's giving the law, they're down there dancing and having a party around a golden idol. When what they didn't know at the time was the very first thing that God was saying, y'all shall have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not bow down or worship any graven image. And they're at the bottom of the hill dancing around a golden calf that they had Aaron make out of jewels. 
And, and then, then, then the Bible tells us that they went whoring after the women and the false gods of Moab. So all they did is they, they, they complained. They, they complained. They, they doubted God's promise. They got to the promised land. God had promised the land. And the spies went over and they come back. And they said, oh, the land's amazing. Truly a land of milk and honey. Man, look, look at the size of these clusters of grapes. And man, you wouldn't believe the things that we saw over there. But it ain't going to do us no good. We can't get it. There's giants in the land. And here's what they said. We were as grasshoppers in their eyes. That's a lie. They didn't talk to them. They were a grasshopper in their own eye. Can I tell you, it don't matter if you're a grasshopper in your own eye. As long as you're focused on God, who is greater than whatever it is you're coming up against. So here they are standing at the door of the promised land. Joshua and Caleb trying to tell them, look, God's already promised the land. Don't worry about them. God's bigger than these giants. But they wouldn't listen. So all they do is murmur and, 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 and complain. And so the law was given because of sin to, to show the redeemed what they are and are not to do. So failure to keep the law comes with penalties. Amen. There, there, there are consequences for, for breaking the law because breaking the law establishes guilt. So knowing that, God also made a means of provision. He made the sacrifices and the offerings and the, the blood of the rams and the lambs and the bulls and the goats and the turtle doves. God made all those provisions because the blood was an atonement for sin. So God knew they couldn't keep the law. Here's the benchmark. You're not going to make it. But to forgive you, there has to be the shedding of blood. All the way back to the Garden of Eden when the, when the skin. Adam and Eve's idea was to come up with some little sewing together piece of a fig leaf. God said, no, there's got to be a shedding of blood. And he made it out of animal skin. So here God says, okay, I know there's got to be an atonement for sin. So you have the shedding of blood. So the law was given to set the, this monitor for hu human behavior. And it taught a lesson that transgressions, sins are punishable in the sight of God. Well, about the best way I know is that because man's conscience ain't no good. How many of you ever heard the saying, well, just let, just let your conscience be your guide? Y'all heard that? That's terrible advice. Don't ever listen to that. And don't ever give that. Man, man's conscience, well, man's conscience, all the way back to the garden, led to eating the forbidden fruit. Man's conscience led Cain to killing his own brother, Abel. Man, man's conscience is the problem all throughout the word of God. It was man's conscience that, that had them dancing around down there, have Aaron make that golden calf. It was their conscience. They, they wanted something they could see to worship. It was man's conscience that made them fear the giants and turn away from the promises of God when everything they wanted was just across the Jordan River. So the conscience of man, apart from the Holy Spirit, is a bad guy. I'm not telling you don't listen to what you feel on the inside as long as you got the Holy Spirit lead, guiding, and directing. What I'm telling you is that man's conscience is no good. The guiding of the Holy Spirit is everything you need to listen to. But if y'all like me, sometimes it's trying to decide where it's coming from. Y'all don't talk about the devil don't mind still whispering. The devil don't mind still lying. Old habits don't mind still rising up. 
So it's, it's really pretty simple to work out. You just take whatever it is and you weigh it against the Word of God. And if it doesn't balance out with the Word of God, it's man's conscience and you leave it alone or either it's the devil trying to pull something in. So, so well, I'm, I'm going to leave that alone. I've been stepped off of something. I ain't got time to close the door. The, 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 law, the, the law provided a standard to guide actions. It's it still, even though we're children of God, we, we still know what to do and what not to do because of the law. Amen? It, it wasn't given to annul the promise or to make the promise go away. It was given to show us how helpless we are when, when it comes to meeting what God requires. It's also given to show us how great the need was for the seed that was promised to Abraham. The, the law shows us our weakness so that we can understand the importance of a Savior. The, the law shows us the depth of, of our sin so that we can understand the need for a great Savior to, to pull us back up and redeem us unto God. So, so that, that's why the law was enforced from the time of Moses up until the time of Christ. Because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained of angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. So Moses mediated for the people. Moses mediated in the presence of angels. Paul says the fact that a mediator was needed to bring the, the law was proof enough in itself that the law could not fulfill the promise. The covenant with Abraham did not need a mediator. It was between God and Abraham. God is the source. God is the strength. God is the promise. It doesn't need a mediator because everything depends on God. And, and God is faithful. So it didn't need a, a middleman, if you will. It, it depends just on God. Now, Moses is the mediator to the law. To be a mediator, there's got to be at least two contracting parties. Two, two contracting parties. There's got to be there's got to be two different sides. A mediator can't represent just one thing, or he can't represent one side against another. He's he's not a prosecutor or defense. He's a mediator. He he meets there in, in the middle. Moses is qualified to be Israel's representative and to intercede on their behalf. And and you see it all through his life, time and time again, how he was a mediator, how he interceded on behalf of the people, even to the point that, that he told God, just, just take my part away. If you're not going to forgive them, just, just, just take my part away. So you see how, how many times he was a mediator for the people. But then in verse 21, Paul asked another question. He says, is the law then, when we talked about, Paul's been talking about how the law, the, the law doesn't have anything to do with the promise. It's different. It came after. It's different. He said, is the law then... Against the promises of God. God forbid. He said that's the same thing. He said, well, of course not. For if, it, if there had been a law given which could have given life, then verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given unto them that believe. 
Abraham believed God, and it was imputed in him as righteousness. So it's all about faith, that, that the faith of Jesus Christ given to the ones that believe. So the law is not against the promises of God because God is the author of both. So what we see is that both are necessary. They are not both necessary for salvation, but they are both necessary. The only thing necessary for salvation is the grace and the mercy of God. It is to trust in Jesus Christ. That is, that is the promise. But, but the law still has its purpose. Paul points out that the law wasn't sufficient as a system or even as a standard because of the sinful nature of man. That there's no way that it could give life because no amount of doing can give eternal life. If doing could do it, then, then you have to take grace out of the equation. If doing could do it, then you could take away mercy out of the equation. It's not about doing. No amount of doing could earn eternal life. Not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. It's all about grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. That may be written in the New Testament, but applies all throughout the Word of God. And what we see is that this isn't something new. This, this is all the way back to the beginning from the promise of Abraham forward. And that's what he's trying to explain to the Galatian church, and God's trying to explain all the way through the, to the church. So, so what is the actual purpose of the law? To make man aware of what righteousness is all about and how much we miss it by. When, when, when I look at the law as God's benchmark, it's pretty easy to see how bad off I am. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When I look at God's standard and God's level of holiness and God's level of righteousness, it's pretty easy for me to see how bad off I am. So the purpose of the promise was to provide the righteousness needed through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That was the seed of the promise. So the law was given to prove our inability to sustain a righteousness that is acceptable to a holy and righteous God, then the promise was given to provide the righteousness that we need through Jesus Christ. Verse 22, Paul says, But the Scripture has concluded all under sin, that by the promise of faith, Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Paul says, in the second place, the law magnifies God's promise by its very function, it's not against it, but it, but it magnifies it. It offers no method of salvation, but, but it magnifies the promise. Now, remember where all this started. You, you got the legalistic Jews, the Judaizers, and here they are. They're talking to the Christians from the church at Galatia. They're talking to new converts and new Christians. They're, they're talking to the new redeemed the ones that have been set free, the ones that have been delivered from bondage, and they're trying to tell them about all the law that you've got to keep. Here's, here's all the things that you've got to do, and they're going into circumcision and all the things that you've got to keep this and do this and do this. And, and Paul reminds them that the, the law offers nothing of the sort. It, it doesn't even have the ability to offer life or any part of it or even uh, assist in it. All it can do is condemn so the first great purpose of the law, probe the soul for sin, as we said earlier, and then to show us what righteousness is all about. But then Paul says, well, it has another purpose. In the next few verses, he deals with it, beginning in verse number 23. He says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up into the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. That word there for shut up, 
that describes like catching a fish in a net. It, it, it would have been a, a, a word more common in their day because that was the way of fishing, the fishing with a net. They, they, didn't, they didn't have some bait casters and some open face. All they had was net fishing. That was their way. So it uses the word something that they're familiar with. So, so it's, it's talking about, like, it's describing a, a man being caught in a net with no way of escape. Our inability to keep the law just proves our sinful nature. How many of you right now stand up, come on down here, I'm going to hand you my Bible and this microphone, I'm going to sit down and shut up because you do the one that needs to be right here. It doesn't matter that I've been called to do this, you're clearly more required. If you've not broken one law, committed one sense, you got saved, come on up here and let me hand you this mic and get out of your way. See, it didn't stop the sin. It just provided grace for the sin. But, but what, I can, what I can see is, is there's a reason I have to pray every day. There's a reason I have to read every day. There's a reason I try to talk to positive people and put positive things in and read positive stuff. There's a reason I don't watch the news. There's a reason I don't do social media. There's a reason I don't do God. There's enough negative already in me. I don't need no help. I don't need somebody else's garbage piled into mine. Could just make it smell worse than it already does. I don't, I don't need to know what somebody else ate for breakfast and what time they went to the bathroom. I don't need to know all that stuff. Yeah, I, I, I've got, I, got, I got enough things to, to deal with here, right? Because there's that old sinful nature called... The flesh, and we all have to keep dealing with the flesh. So, so Paul says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up into the faith, which should afterward be revealed. So we were shut up. We were, we were like this, caught in this net with, with no way of escape. And, and then grace saved us. Gra grace pulled us out. And, and grace keeps on holding on to us. Even on this side of salvation, grace not only provides us with redemption, but grace just keeps on forgiving. God understands that at my day of salvation, everything changed. Old things passed away. Behold, all things became new. We became a new creature in Christ. God understands that we're completely different, totally different, but we're still of the same flesh. And we're still warring against the same flesh. And we were still born of the same seed. And we're still battling with that stuff. So grace and mercy didn't just meet us at the cross and leave us there. It just keeps on walking with us every day. It just keeps on cleansing. It just keeps on forgiving. It just keeps on saving. It just keeps on strengthening. It just keeps on loving on this side of salvation. So when God delivered the Hebrew children from Egypt, he saved them from the house of bondage. But that didn't stop them from sinning. They, they just kept on complaining. If anything, it magnified it more. If anything, it made their sins show up more. So grace kept on acting on their behalf. Same, same as you and I. Changed forever. But, but just like the Hebrew children, they were changed on the redemption side of Egypt. You and I are changed on the redemption side of Calvary. Amen? Anybody thankful that the blood wasn't just applied for the day of salvation, but the power of blood lasts every day. And every day the blessings are fresh and new. 
Every day there's something new waiting. Every day there's a new power. Every day there's a new blessing. Every day there's a fresh new anointing waiting. Every day there's a fresh new dose of forgiveness because all the mess ups I did wasn't just yesterday. They, they some mess ups coming tomorrow. We ain't even got there yet, right? But, but I've already seen the drivers around here. There's enough bad ones that somebody's going to make me think, I wish you would have just run off in the ditch. At least you've been out of the way for a while, right? Yeah, I'm sorry. Help me, Lord. I'm, I'm going to run Holy Spirit right up out of here. So, so God, God knew about the sinful nature of man from the very beginning. And, and God knew about the sinful nature all the way back when he made the covenant with Abraham. So it was necessary for God to show us our need for a Savior by proving our inability to keep his commandment. Even though we are completely saved and completely washed in the blood, completely cleansed, we still mess up. So what Paul is describing is that the law had us caught in this net in which we had no way out. And our only hope was the faith which afterwards would be revealed. Now, think about this in the context of today's world. Would anybody in here be all right with it if Jesus just went ahead and come back in the morning? I mean, anybody be upset if the trumpet sounded about sunrise? And, or, or even a little bit before, so you didn't even have to hear your alarm clock go off. Wouldn't it be awesome if the trumpet was your alarm clock? And, and you didn't have to slap one and fuss at one, but you actually got to wake up to a, a trumpet with some joy and some excitement and, and some life. I, I mean, there, there's an excitement within us knowing that tomorrow could be the day. Well, I've heard that my whole life. Well, I don't change nothing. That just means I'm one day closer. Man, I heard that when I was just a little boy. Well, I did too. That means I'm quite a few days closer. So, so we, we have something to, to look forward to. Now, here in, in the age of the law or, or the dispensation of the law, even though it lasted for some 1,500 years, it was always regarded as this, about to be revealed. For 1,500 years, it was about to be revealed. The seed, the promise, the seed that was promised is about to come forth. He is about to be revealed. The Messiah, the, the Redeemer, the, the promised one could come on any day at any moment. For 1,500 years, the possibility existed that at any time, at any moment, it could take place. That means that at any time in history, God could have sent the seed, but until the revelation was made, there was no escape from the law. You and I wait for the return of Jesus with the same expectations. That's why it's imperative. You know, for 1,500 years, he could have come on any given day, but he came on the day when he came. And on the day that he came, some believed and some didn't. Only as he grew up and he began to minister, some believed and some didn't. As he spread the gospel of the Father and did what he was sent to do to share God's word, some believed and some didn't. So, so there was a time waiting until the day that he came. And when he came, some believed on him, some didn't. It's exactly like today. It doesn't matter if it's been over 2,000 years. And it doesn't matter if it's over 2,000 more. 
Every day the possibility exists that Jesus Christ is going to step out on a cloud. Gabriel's going to sound the trumpet. The father's going to say, go get my children. And he's going to call us up and we're going to leave out of here. Whether or not people believe it's not going to change it. People's doubt of it's not going to hinder it. People not believing in it, it's not going to change it. Nothing's going to stop it. But that's why it is imperative that we tell people every day time is of the essence. For 1,500 years, the promise was coming. That's all they knew. The promise is coming. The promise is coming. The promise is coming. Then when the promise came, many didn't believe the promise. Now, the promise has been partially fulfilled, but God's not through. There's still a whole lot. All I got to do is read the back of the book. We still got to check out. We got to go eat some groceries up at the marriage supper and have dinner with Jesus and Paul and Peter and John and all them. And I'm going to have some dessert. I can't imagine what kind of cake we're going to have. And, and, and some coffee, man. It's going to be some good Costa Rica coffee. We'll have nothing on that. We, we, we're going to have some marriage supper with the land. There's going to be some rewards handed out, but there's going to be some laws too. The things that we didn't do. And, and during, that, during that time down here on earth, there's going to be hell on earth going on because you got the tribulation period going here. But that ain't the end of the story. Damn, we got at least another thousand years on this earth because after all that happens, we're going to come on back on some horses. Anybody don't like riding horses? Everybody likes riding horses. Good thing. It's a long ride. I don't know how far it is to heaven, but I can't see it from here. It's pretty good a horse ride, I'm figuring. So we know that we're coming back with Jesus on the horses for a thousand year millennial reign. So, so there, there's, a, there's a whole lot of promise. So whether it is delayed or not, whether it seems delayed to, or, to us or not, doesn't matter. Our job never changes. Salvation is available today. It don't matter to you if Jesus comes back tomorrow or he don't come back for a million more years. It don't matter to you. Here's what matters to you. You're on your way to hell. And Jesus is the only thing that can change that. You are going to die. Hebrews 9, 27 assures us the point of a man wants to die. That's going to happen in this life. You're going to check out of this old vessel. You ain't going to stay in it no more. And the, whatever's inside is going to live somewhere, heaven and hell. That's your choice. That, that, that's where it's going to be. So our, our job doesn't change. For 1,500 years, they waited on a promise. The promise has come. Salvation is available. Our job is just to tell people that, that, that Jesus is coming back. But regardless of when, all that does is affect whether or not you leave with him. But, but we make up all that now. So, so Paul, Paul talks about um, taskmasters. See, they, they, had, they had never tasted freedom. The, the history of the nation of Israel began in bondage. Their numbers grew. They, they became a nation under bondage. And then God sent this deliverer to deliver them from the bondage of Egypt. Grace brought them out of Egypt, not law. And grace delivered them from the bondage of suffering, not the law. They'd never tasted freedom. So all they knew was the weight of the taskmaster's hand and, and, and the punishment of his whip. So every day they tasted the, the bitter bondage until grace set them free. We may not see it as the same, but we are the same. Every day we were held captive in the bondage of sin. Every day we were held captive in the bondage of hell and the sin that we were born under until the promise came. On our part, we had to receive the promise, but then so did, thee, or so did they. So, so because of their sin, God put them under the bondage of the law until the promise be fulfilled, until 
the seed come? Well, Jesus came. The seed of the promise has, has come. The faith that uh, was about to be revealed through all the whole 1,500 years has now been revealed. And, and now they're, they're looking to return to the bondage of the law. So looking at these Jews here in our text and remembering who Paul was talking to, he's talking to the church of Galatia because the Judaizers are, are trying to include this law. You would have thought that that they would have learned that a taskmaster can't be pleased. You, you would have thought that, that by now they would have learned that a schoolmaster, a taskmaster, a slave handler could, could not be pleased. That Why would you keep trying to live under the bondage of something you've been set free from? Why, why would you want to add the, the bondage of the law to your salvation story? So the law, is the law still in effect? Absolutely. Does the law still matter? Absolutely. Am I saved? Yes. Can I murder? No. Why? It's against the law. Not just man law, God's law. Am I saved? Yes. Can I steal? No. Why? It's against God's law. Am I saved? Yes. Can I commit adultery? No. Why? Because she'd kill me. On top of it being against God's law. Can, am I saved? Yes. Can, can I worship football? No. It's an idol. It's something other than God. Am I saved? Yes. Can I bow down before a golden image? No. Why? It's against God's law. So it's not that the law is not of any effect. The law is still good and the law is still useful because it shows me how to live. It is the benchmark that lets me see when I messed up and to know that I messed up so I can turn around and go back to grace and be forgiven again. It's not that the law is useless. It's just that the law can't save me. It's not that the law has no purpose, but the purpose is not the saving of my soul or yours. We are saved by grace. And grace alone. But the law, Paul says, still has its purpose. But you can't go back. It, it still just goes back to my roots. It goes back to what I was raised under. You can't go back to being taught that I was saved by grace, but I got to keep the law to stay saved. Sorry, but that, that's what it says. That's what that. That's what that Pentecostal Church of God background is telling you. If you sin again, then you can get lost again. That's what it's telling you. That you're not saved, once saved, always saved. That you, it's telling you if you're saved and you, and you sin and you get back into messing up, then you can lose your salvation. Then what that's telling me is that I'm saved by grace, but I'm kept saved by my works. That's not what the Word of God says. And that's not what Paul's telling us here. He's telling me that the law is still in effect. And the law still has a purpose in my life. But breaking the law cannot send me back to hell. It just can cause a separation with God. So I turn around and go back to the throne of grace that I might obtain mercy. So Paul says, yes, the promise was absolutely necessary. We needed the promise of the seed because the promise of the seed, the seed is Jesus Christ. And we needed Jesus Christ to promise because where there is no shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And we needed the blood for remission of sin so that we might be saved. So the law can't save me. But by the same token, the law 
It, 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 it can condemn me in sin, but it can't condemn me back to hell. All it does says, here's your benchmark. It's still a benchmark. You still need to keep it. You still need to love your neighbor as yourself. You still need to care about other people and, and do what the law says. But Jesus made it clear and simple. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. God says if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you will not sin against God because you love him too much to sin against him. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will not sin against your neighbor because you love him too much to sin against him. Therefore, all the other laws are keepable. All the other laws are attainable. It's not that they don't exist. It's not that they're not any good. It's just that you don't have to worry about them. If you keep these two, then you won't break the rest. Well, Lord willing, that'd be a really good place. Um, Paul, Paul says there in the next verse that, that, that after that faith has come, that, that we're no longer under a schoolmaster, but we're out of time. So, Lord willing, we'll pick up here at verse 25 next week. Father, thank you so much, God. Thank you for the picture, Lord, that I can even look back and see. You showed me a picture of me. That you didn't send the law to the children of Israel and tell them, obey the law and I'll save you. You saved them and then gave them a method to live by. Thank you, Father, that you didn't look down at me and say, if you keep the law, I'll save you. By grace, you reached down and saved our souls and said, now here's a standard. Here's something to live by. Just keep this. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you love us in spite of us. I thank you, God, that even in, in our shortcomings, you just keep on loving and keep on forgiving and keep on finding a way to make us a usable vessel. And that's what we want to be, God, a usable vessel for your glory, for your kingdom. We love you. You've been good to us. We thank you. We praise you. And we just want to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.